Hey, this is Paul Tomko, and you're listening to episode 10 of the Anti-Aging Lifestyle. Look, you only get one shot at this thing called life. And your lifestyle, the decisions you make every day, are either making you age faster or slower. Anti-aging is my passion. My goal is to give you the tools to live a long, healthy life. And of course, make sure you look good along your journey. I don't have all the answers, but I'm going to use this podcast to help find those answers so we can all live our best life. Let's get started. All right, episode 10. So this is a continuation of my interview with Dr. Tommy Wood. If this is your first episode that you're listening to from The Anti-Aging Lifestyle, I would go back to the previous episode, episode 9, where it's the first part of the interview with Dr. Tommy Wood, and we talk about human performance and longevity. Part 2 of this interview focuses specifically on Tommy's research that he's doing when it comes to brain injuries, both neonatal, pediatric, and also as it applies to military personnel that are out in the field dealing with explosives, or athletes, you know, whether you're a football player, anyone in contact sports. And his research also applies to anyone that's been in a really bad car accident or that's experienced, you know, a large trauma or blow to the head. Hopefully you haven't, but, you know, from an anti-aging or longevity standpoint, you might not think, you know, learning from a brain, brain injury expert or a concussion expert may really apply. But to be fair, pretty much like I said in the last episode, Pretty much everyone that you know, whether yourself or someone that you love, has had some kind of brain injury or is in some kind of contact sports. So it's good to to learn how to minimize symptoms and deal with the inflammation that occurs after the injury so that you heal faster and help minimize damage. And also what steps you can take as a preventative measure to help keep your brain safe before these things ever happen. So with that being said, let's get the second part of this interview with Dr. Tommy Wood started. And uh, just a quick side note, we do get a little bit more into the nitty-gritty of the science that goes on with when you talk about brain injuries. And in general, I am, you'll get to know over time, that I'm a very kind of like a high-level plan of action. How do we apply what we just learned to our daily life and really apply it, not just learn about it, not just get theoretical, but really apply it to, to our actions moving forward. So I'm always trying to, you know, in this interview is is no exception to that rule. I'm always trying to learn something from Tommy and then try to figure out, okay, well, how do we apply this? How do we use this knowledge? So we do get a little bit into the science at certain points, but I think it's necessary to understand the mechanisms of action that are going on behind the scenes. Um, but I do apologize if it gets a little bit too, too, uh, too science and too into the weeds for you. At the end of each episode, like always, I always do my summary, my version of a summary of the episode, which helps kind of put everything together. So if you do kind of get lost at all during the course of the interview, just know that at the end of the interview, I always do my summary, kind of the high level spark notes version of what we just learned so that you can hopefully apply what we just talked about to your daily life uh, very effectively and efficiently. But with that being said, let's get into it. Uh, now going into your research a little bit with mm-hmm. the concussion, tell me, I guess, what your research is, and then I got some questions on that. Cause... Mm. 
So, so my my research is is mainly using ferrets. Okay. Um, Why ferrets? Yes, great, perfect question. <laughs> so, if if you're looking at the uh, animal, so animal models absolutely like inform a huge amount of what we do in terms of treating humans, and it's part of the pipeline of trying to develop better therapies for for humans. Mm -hmm. And rats and mice, they're kind of like the stalwart; they're the mainstay. It's what what most people use. Mm. But it, particularly if you're looking at, at the brain, um, they have a very different structure of the brain. So you know you know the human brain is like super wrinkly, right? Mm -hmm. The, and so that's all the gyrae increase of the surface area. It's associated with you know, much more complex connectivity, many more layers of cells. Um, and rats and, and mice don't have that. They also don't have as much white matter, which is where you know, a lot of sort of like the main fast connections are made. And that's what determines how like, you control your body and how you can like, pass information through various parts of the brain. They don't have as much of that and particularly in some of the brain injuries that I study, so premature brain injury, but also traumatic brain injury, white matter is, is gonna be a big part of what gets injured, what gets affected. And so for those reasons, rodents aren't very good for brain injury research. It's where we do most of it, but that's why most of it is a waste of time. Mm. Um, so you, you then, maybe you would, like, so then animals that have a more complex brain structure, more white matter, then you think, um, so uh, pigs, sheep, uh, monkeys, obviously, and there is a lot of brain research done in monkeys, but it's, it's hard, it's expensive. Mm. So ferrets are the perfect middle ground. So they're, they're born in litters, um, same, same number of, as rodents. You can sort of house them and test them in a similar, like they need more space, but in a similar way to rodents, you can do a whole, uh, like batteries of behavioral tests, they're super smart. Mm. Um, but they have this more complex brain structure. Their brain looks like, basically looks like a mini human brain. Wow, okay. Um, there is some interesting stuff in there. There's the fact that the ferret brain is really hard to injure. These guys are like bulletproof, <laughs> bombproof. So, so, you, so you, have to, you have to do, um, you have to take some extraordinary measures to try and model some of these brain injuries that humans are, exp that humans are exposed to. But um, I think it's a much, it's a much more, um, like relevant model or animal to, to look at when you're trying to model brain injury. So that's why, that's why we use the ferret. Um, and we have, so, so basically a lot of my work has been developing these models because not, people have used ferrets for various things like their lungs respond to the, like flu infections, okay. very similar to humans. So people have do, done a lot of like, infectious disease research in ferrets, mm -hmm. but not as much brain injury Poor research. <laughs> yeah. So, <laughs> You know, I mean, that, that's definitely a consideration and um, we're always very cognizant of the fact that, you know, th these are other lives that you're affecting, but so you have to make sure that you're doing good stuff. I yeah, think yeah. That's, that's, that's really important. Um, so like developing these models has basically been like the, the main chunk of my career for the last few years. Mm -hmm. And so we have these premature brain injury models. So like um, intervening or creating an injury around the time when a baby, like, would be the equivalent of a human baby being like 26 to 28 weeks, so like a super, super preterm baby, and they have a, a very increased risk of cerebral palsy, um, learning disabilities, um, and then some other ones that are slightly more close to term. So, so some of those things that I talked about earlier, again, so like during childbirth, something goes wrong, and, and now we're sort of moving into the sort of like the juvenile. So, say you're, um, a 12 year old kid and you play soccer or you play football and you and you get a concussion and then also you know sort of increasing up to so like the 
the 18 year old who goes to goes to college you know plays d1 football gets a concussion every week mm -hmm. uh, or every two weeks mm -hmm. so kind of those equivalent ages um and basically uh you just you, you do that by impacting impacting the head um and yeah. then sort of following over time and maybe you need to do multiple times and there's definitely something they see in humans called like second impact syndrome so maybe you have one hit and you're you know everything's okay and you, you go back on the field or maybe you go back next week but you're still not quite there but you're good enough to sort of pass the test and then you get hit again and then just like you know think that's that's when things really uh, start to fall apart and that's because you've still got all this inflammation and swelling from the last time yeah so you know i, I told you earlier i had a friend just like a week or two ago mm -hmm. that got thrown in brazilian jiu-jitsu got a concussion yeah so what is the definition of a concussion just so it's the it, audience kind of is on the same page yeah it's it's, it's really you hear this all the time yeah right? and it, it's really it's really difficult because like what what how how are you defining it are you defining it by the 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 loss of function and that's that's often what you have like a decrease in memory decrease in executive function so ability to perform complex tasks mm -hmm. um you know, you know headaches um the fatigue there are all these kind symptoms, of things yeah, yeah there are all these symptoms that go with it or you know you could also talk about like what's happening at like a cellular level mm -hmm. so you're definitely getting you know um you you're getting things like um, inflammation, there's the swelling, the blood-brain barrier, which sort of protects the brain from the stuff circulating. And that's literally because in the, blood. the brain hits the. Yeah, so you have the, the skull is this hard box, and mm. then the brain is this like mushy sack, <laughs> and like what like the the very skull. Very important mushy sack. Yeah, a very important mushy sack, but it's essentially a mushy sack, and it's, it's really mushy if you like go and look at like poke one. Um, <laughs> but so like you have this 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 hard box and mm -hmm. then like any time that box accelerates mm -hmm. it sort of like pushes it pushes the this this mushy sack across and it will like slap against the other side mm -hmm. and then it will like come back and slap against the the, the side that it came from and there's just like connective tissue that's holding it away yeah. from the okay so yeah, the skull. yeah and so and, and you have some fluid around it and okay. fluid inside which kind of helps buffer it and the more brain you have, the, the better. So, so you're but definitely, slashing. yeah. So you're, you're definitely. So if you know, people who are older, they've lost some brain, Mass. some brain volume, mm -hmm. they're much more likely to bleed and things like that because like there's much more movement. You're likely to, yeah. To, yeah, to to tear a vessel and and get some hemorrhage. Um, but then yes, yeah, so, so we talk. So the blood-brain barrier starts, you know, starts to break down at least initially. And at the same time, if you get a really bad concussion or a bad, bad trauma, then you get an increase in gut permeability. And so basically your connection from the brain to the outside mm -hmm. is, or like your protections of the brain from the outside, first the blood brain barrier, then the, the circulatory system, and then the, the sort of the proper gut function and the, the gut, you know, the inside of the gut is essentially outside the body, right? You're, a, you're essentially like an inside out tube because your skin is connected all the way down through your gut. It's like a continuous layer of cells. And so you're you're no longer protected from the outside, so anything can get in, really. Wow. And and uh, you know, and that's going to contribute. That's going to contribute to the problem, be it like bacterial endotoxins or partially digested food products that that might that might cause some kind of reaction. Mm -hmm. So all of this is is going on, and so you so you have like the symptom levels, and you have the the thing that, that's that's happening um, like down at the down at the cellular level, um, and then it's obviously occurs on a scale. So you you might be fine in a couple of days and or you know it might take you several weeks or months and there's definitely you know some people take a long time to recover from it from a so very individual based very on individual the, the yeah impact. and then there's there's long-term problems so like we talked we talked about um hormone issues you know and you definitely get um 
like post-traumatic hyperpituitism, which basically means that you've had some kind of traumatic brain injury and your pituitary gland stops working. And the mm -hmm. pituitary gland basically controls almost all hormone production in the body, right? right? So it controls cortisol, so like cortisol production, which is probably the most essential hormone for life. If you don't have cortisol, you will die. Um, it controls um, thyroid hormone production, growth hormone, um, all the sex hormones, right? So estrogen and progesterone in females, testosterone in males, obviously they, women have testosterone, males have estrogen and progesterone, right? But it controls all of that. And you, and you might just lose like, so some people will just have low testosterone or some people will just have lo low thyroid. Um, some people will you know, have lower cortisol or you can have all of the above. Mm -hmm. And that, that definitely can happen immediately, but can also start to develop over time. So all of these things, um, you know, become super important if you've had a lot of concussions and they're just, they're just something you need to keep an eye out for. So obviously I'm a huge fan of MMA, boxing, uh -huh. a lot of impact sports, right? So say you're in one of those very physical sports, mm -hmm. what are some things you can do to, A, you know you're gonna be in it to help prevent concussions or just help keep your brain healthy? Any supplements, any kind of lifestyle tweaks you can make? Yeah, that's- Assuming that you will be hit in the head at some point, you know? Yeah, th um, that, that's a really great question. So, so I think, um, obviously like making sure you're as healthy as possible before you go in is super yeah. important. So like the fact that you know, most boxing matches happen in the middle of the night. Mm. I think that's that's potentially detrimental because like you're already doing stuff like out of whack with a normal circadian rhythm. So maintaining a good circadian rhythm as much as um, as much time as possible. Obviously, if you if your fights at midnight, you need to be able to perform at midnight. So you have to train at midnight. So you're used to performing at that time. Mm -hmm. So that's not always going to be you know that's not always going to be easy for people to do. Mm -hmm. But things like um, is it because like inflama inflammation and swelling don't go so it, as much no so it's basically your your um you're fighting at the, at the time or you're asking something of the body at the time when it when it should be um uh basically repairing itself so mm -hmm. so at night is when um like nad goes up oh, and then and then you're activating your situans you're activating you know some autophagy pathways that's like your, your rest and repair like that's the time it should be happening and it's coordinated so that it happens at night right mm -hmm. that's not so there's not been a huge amount of research done on it, but when you sort of taking, asking the body to do things out of sync, it's certainly been shown to be associated with, with worse outcomes. So like night shift workers who are awake during the night, they definitely have increased risk of some cancers, type of diabetes, obesity. And that's because you're just like, you're asking your body to do things out of sync of its, no, of its normal rhythm. Got it. Um, so if you were gonna fight at night, maybe try to adjust your sleep cycle? Yeah, so at least make uh, yeah, and at least and if you can adjust your light exposure with that, right? So that no matter what, so like it's dark when you should be asleep, and it's light even at night. So you can create some something more artificial. I would try, I would try and do that, so the systems are kind how, of lined how much, up. How much time would you want your body to adapt before like a fight? Oh yeah, I mean it could be. You're you're probably going to be you're probably going to be in camp before a fight, right? Yeah. So it's, you're probably going to have several weeks that you could do that, and mm -hmm. it would be kind of hard work mm -hmm. to do it. Like make sure that you're exposed to the right light at the right time. But I think there's potentially some some benefits there. Like mm -hmm. this is all theoretical; nobody's sort of studied it. Okay. Um, but then you know, we talked about so having some creatine on board, yeah. right? Like Five I definitely grams think, a day. yeah, definitely think that's worth doing. Okay. Um, like then there are other things that are going to make this injury worse. So. Um, minimizing blood glucose excursions. So big swings in blood sugar, really bad for your brain. 
Um, just so in general? Just in, just in general, but also particularly um, if you look at people after trauma, after brain injury, like big swings or big swings in, in blood sugar particularly, but also just like being hyperglycemic, mm -hmm. not, you know, really not good. So if, if you do get concussed, like don't start chugging the Powerade, right? Mm -hmm. um, so mm -hmm. definitely better quality carbohydrates that are gonna have a smaller effect on your blood sugar. Okay. I would, so if I got punched in the head, I'd immediately start chugging ketone esters. Um, which dramatically increase uh, ketone levels in the blood. Human is a company that makes it. It's not cheap. Okay. It's about 30 bucks a dose. Um, and it increases ketone levels for like three to four hours. Uh, it's used by endurance athletes. So in the Tour de France, basically they're all chugging ketone esters now because it does increase exercise efficiency and endurance performance. Mm -hmm. Not sure about other like more explosive sports yet. But, but in terms of the concussion. Ketone's super important for the brain, particularly when it's injured. Okay. Um, so that it doesn't so, have the, the glucose response is less then? Or? Yeah, and so and it's an alternative fuel source that, and it's also anti-inflammatory, um, protects the mitochondria, does this whole host of whole host of things um, that's super super like reduces the, the likelihood that you'll get a seizure, which is possible after you've had a concussion. So, so I would. What's the name and the brand that people could buy if, yeah, if you're an athlete? Human HVMN. Um, is, is the brand um, and Kieran Clark is the professor at Oxford who kind of developed it. And is it just like one brand or one type it's just of? One, yeah, it's okay. just one company that... It's a drink. It's a drink. Okay. It tastes awful, okay. but it's, defi it's definitely worth it. And this is, I mean, this is a really like exploding field right now. Okay. They're, the, they're, the, they're the main players. Um, a good friend of mine, Dr. Brianna Stubbs, um, she used to work at Human and she helped develop the ester and has done a lot of the studies in athletes. Um, so people can look up her and her work. But the benefit of drinking something like that theoretically should reduce, uh, say after a fight, what is yeah. that reducing? Yeah, so <clears throat> if you look at, and again, there's, there's evidence mainly from animal models. They haven't, but I will say that I know there are a number of groups who are interested in this who are, who are testing it. Um, so I'm sure there will be some studies that come out in say like military groups or football players because a lot of people are using this stuff. Mm. Um, so that's, I think that's going to, and, and it's, um, like I said, reduces inflammation, reduces oxidative stress, um, uh, seems to protect the mitochondria so that you, you like, you, you continue to be able to produce energy in the, in the areas of the brain that require energy. Okay. So uh, again, does it have perfect evidence behind it? No, but it's super low risk, mm -hmm. high benefit strategy. The other thing is making sure that um, your brain doesn't get too hot. So. A lot of my research has been on uh, temperature and brain injury. And again, um, if you, after major trauma, cardiac arrest, any kind of brain injury, if, if you, it's in, in babies, we cool them down. It doesn't seem to work in adults, but getting too hot is definitely bad. So like, just, just make it like, and don't wear hats, don't like go in the sauna, you know, do, do do exercise because some light exercise improves recovery from concussions, but like, don't go out and get super hot in the sun or like go and train outside in the sun. Like definitely like be mindful of your body temperature. That's gonna be super important after it. After and that's it, from after external factors like the sun and sauna and also e internal factors external like and hard, internal. Hard workout. Yeah, yeah, okay. exactly. So like what, anything that increases your core body temperature is gonna increase the temperature of your brain. Correct, yeah. uh, so so just like be mindful of all those things. So like exercise is important. They've, that's definitely well, well described. When do you know to go back to hard exercise after a concussion? Is it when you're... So if you've had a really bad concussion, then you should hopefully have a team around okay. you that are going to help you with that. But it's going to... Like an amateur athlete, yeah, yeah. you know so what I mean? If you're an, yeah, an amateur, like an amateur boxer. So within a few days, like maybe like within two to three days, you should be definitely up 
walking around, maybe some light aerobic exercise, that kind of stuff. Um, if you wait more than a week or two, that seems to delay recovery. Okay, so get moving. so within a few get moving within a few days as soon as soon as as soon as you're and able. Say the headaches are, you don't have any more headaches and your executive function seems to be normal, then you can start going back into hard workouts. Or mm. yeah, I think and like again, if you're doing this with, without a team, I would I'd certainly recommend that you have some kind of way of testing your baseline. So there are there are apps you can get on your phone, like the the N back app. So the N N back is a is a very well known like cognitive function test. N B A C K. Yeah, N hyphen B A C K. Okay. Um, there's various um, free you know things online that sort of like test cognitive function. So um, Lumosity, there's uh, Cambridge Brain Sciences. You just sign up for an account, and there's all these different cognitive tests. So so and what what you would do if you were part of like a large program, so say you're the quarterback for the Huskies, right? They, they, they will know this about you. They'll, they'll know some idea of what your baseline cognitive function so is. So do those tests when you're healthy, baseline. Yeah, and, okay. then, and then sort of retest yourself. And then, you know, you can slowly increase, you know, the amount of exercise you do as, as you feel better, but like don't go back into the fray until like you're absolutely back at, back at baseline, you know, okay. and then obviously give, you know, give it several weeks more if you, if you can. Okay, that's interesting because oftentimes as a, you know, a very passionate athlete, amateur athlete, you might yeah. want to, you know, jump right back into the training. Maybe you got beat, maybe you won, but yeah. you want to get better, right? Yeah, especially but if that's it, a, almost a... And, and you, it's sort of like long term, it's definitely, gonna, it's definitely gonna, you know, going to be detrimental if you go back in and you get hit again. So, so like if you're, you know, if, you, if, you're, if, you're a, if you're a fighter, you know, even if you like start doing some sparring or something, something like knocks you again, mm. you know, that's definitely before you fully recovered. Before you're fully recovered, like there's there's a lot of risk there. So, mm. you know, just focus on some of the other stuff. You know, the, like the the aerobic or weight training or whatever. And loot, like you so say, you can stay fit and you can get back into stuff as you start to recover. But like, just avoid Nine getting effects. hit in the head again before until you're fully recovered. And are those concussions long term? Is that I mean, you see a lot of. It's very rare for me to see a boxer that lives a very very long life. A lot of times. Yeah. You hear them passing away in their 60s, 70s. Yeah. Is that, I mean, it's it's strange to watch a boxer too because like they seem in, in their 30s, even though they're in these big, big wars and fights, they seem to be still quick with their wits and everything. There's, maybe in their 40s or 50s. Yeah. It, so the the human brain is, is super resilient, and it can really it can deal with a lot of insults over time. It can deal with sort of these chronic inflammatory processes over time. And I think you know some of this is, is maybe. You know, like all the things that, that we just talked about. So say, um, you know, getting back to exercise early, making sure you don't have large swings in, in, in blood sugar, like looking after your circadian rhythm. That stuff just hasn't historically been done, right? Okay. You know, so like athletes, have, you know, you have to, you have a hard fight and like maybe you have a concussion, but you still need to get those carbs in so that you recover. Like, mm. so, so I think that some of that stuff may improve as sort of like sports science and, and, and treating improves. people's improves. Mm. But <clears throat> you're, you're right that sort of historically, if you look at professional athletes, um, People in professional sport live longer than the average, you know, the average population, and mm. that's you know they're much healthier. They train. They probably eat better. Um, when they look at this in like Eastern European countries, they certainly got access to better healthcare, and they weren't smoking and drinking like like the rest of the population. So the, there's a lot of benefit to be had there, certainly. But if you're in a if you're in a fight sport, you don't get that say you don't get that same benefit, um, and that's almost certainly because you're taking several several hits to the brain. And th yeah, so this stuff just. Um, accumulates over time, be it because it's you know it starts to um, the, the proteins that you generate to try and respond to this stress, they sort of accumulate and then they cause problems. Um, 
you know, and or you know, maybe it's the pituitary thing, and, and it's, it's only again fairly recently that people have gotten really into this. You know, how does you, how is your pituitary working after um, after a concussion and and or you know any kind of uh, brain injury, and you know, so it may well be that a lot of these people, you know, you know, big boxers or fighters in their time, mm. you know, maybe in the 60s, 70s, 80s. And then you know maybe that maybe they just weren't making testosterone anymore, right? And that has a huge effect life, on, on, yeah. on cognitive, hormones, yeah, uh, like cognitive function, like physical function, cardiovascular disease risk, all of this stuff. So, so I think I think there's some of it is just an inherent risk of the sport, mm -hmm. right? I mean, I feel you know just if you just think about it, like being punched in the head for a living, yeah. right, is probably not going to be good for your for your long term, like yeah. your longevity. Um, but I think some of it will, will hopefully improve as, as we like diagnose um, and think about some of this other stuff better. So yeah, you know, I, I think it would improve. And then that's the long-term longevity of the, the athletes. Mm -hmm. But in terms of when their, their, their speech starts slurring and you can tell that they're just not sharp mentally anymore. And that's because, is that because the proteins are going in and literally they're losing brain mass? Yeah, all the time? yeah. so uh, if you look at I mean, there's multiple interacting factors. So, so, amylo so amyloid and tau, those are two of the proteins that you might hear about if you're interested in um, like degenerative brain uh, diseases. And, and amyloid seems to accumulate first, and it's actually produced by the brain. And I will preface this by saying that my opinion is controversial, even though I'm sure it's right. Um, <laughs> um, so, so most people just think that amyloid is bad and it accumulates, you need to get rid of it. But there's a lot of evidence to suggest that it helps fight microbial infection. So if you have like an infection in the brain or that it's antioxidant, it might be anti-inflammatory. So it seems like the brain produces this stuff in response to an injury and it's actually trying to like help the brain recover. Amyloid is the part of the brain's response to help, help itself recover because it actually has like a wide range of functions. But it does accumulate and it accumulates for various reasons like obviously the more injuries you have the more inflammation you have um sleep is really important part of clearing amyloid there's some some really nice studies looking at that so you may be producing it it does its effect but then you do want it to to go away mm. um and so if you're not sleeping properly you're not going to clear it um so same thing for after a concussion really make sure you're getting yeah, good sleep yeah right? absolutely yeah absolutely and um, and so, so it does get to a point where amyloid does become problematic and it's, it's like it's, it's overly accumulated and then it starts to negatively affect your neurons. So there's this, this kind of like accumulated. And your body's uh, producing it because it seems like it's the right choice. Yeah, right? yeah exactly. It's like, you know, there's proteins. This, what are the proteins doing there? Yeah. Reducing, yeah. 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 So like this, it's a response to the chronic inflammation or the acute injury, uh, whatever's going on. And it's it's again, it's produced um, in response to swings in blood, uh, in blood sugar, all this same kind of stuff. And it's, it's there. It's, it's it's like the brain's trying to protect itself, but eventually, there's, it, eventually it starts doing damage to itself because so much of the protein has accumulated. Mm. That's kind of like the, the, the way I kind of see it. So this stuff starts to happen, happen over time. And th there are other things that increase um, susceptibility. So we talked about um, APO, APOE4, or you and I talked about it yesterday. And that's, so the APOE is a, is a lipoprotein. Um, so related to the lipoproteins that carry cholesterol around the blood. So like ApoB is, is uh, the one that like LDL particles, uh, if you've heard of your LDL cholesterol, it's on ApoB containing particles. This is ApoE. Is and this the genetic test you're talking about? Yeah, so you can, so you can now get ApoE, your ApoE genotype tested mm -hmm. on insurance mm -hmm. uh, because it's, it does increase ApoE4 increases your risk of Alzheimer's disease and maybe also your risk of cardiovascular disease. Mm -hmm. But it definitely increases your risk of uh, getting um, CTE or chronic traumatic uh, um, encephalopathy, which is the 
uh, what we might have previously called like pugilistic dementia, which which you know like pugilists are boxers, right? So the the the, the brain injury that the boxers would get after being punched in the face however many times, and so like and that's what we see in American football players, right? That's the big thing that's come out over the last couple of years is this CTE is this thing, you know, that the football players after just endless micro concussions, like they may not even feel concussed, but they're just like, you are a 300 pound guy, like bashing against another 300 pound guy <laughs> several times a week, mm. more than several, dozens of times a week. And mm. just in that, like that, just it slowly accumulates in terms of the effect that it has on the brain. And they've done, they've now looked at, you ever, um, there's a, there's a book called concussion. There was a movie, Will Smith played like the, the, the main guy who uh-huh. like who like discovered this. Um, he was, he was an African neurosurgeon. Um, and, and if you have, it, it seems if you have ApoE4, mm-hmm. so you can have up to two copies. So if you have one copy, it certainly increases your risk slightly. So it increases your risk of Alzheimer's disease by maybe two to three times having one copy. Probably five times that if you have two copies. And certainly in, in the people, um, and, and again, it's, it's, it's kind of anecdotal because they're just like case reports at the moment. But mm-hmm. in the in the football players who've had the worst decline or most rapid decline in their brain function and have died often by suicide. Mm. Um, the, you know, the ones where it's happened most rapidly with the most severe brain injury, we then look at their brain, mm. they seem to be ApoE4 carriers. So there's certainly, there's certainly an, an, an interaction there that, that makes a lot of sense. And like, there are, you hear a lot of these st- stories, like how many, how many football players are arrested for rape? Uh, or you know some kind of assault, or who end up like murdering their wives, or mm. end up killing themselves, mm. and uh, you know, not all of them are going to be ApoE four carriers, but these are all guys who have been hit in the head again and again and again and again for like several years, if not decades, of their life, and th- this stuff adds up. Okay, so if you are in uh, a sport where there is the the potential for concussions, especially, um, do your genetic tests. Check mm. for Apple E4. How do you yeah. spell that? So it's just APO. APO. E. E. And then four. And then you'll be either four, three, or two. Four, and also, and three, or four, two. Four, three, or two. And you'll be some combination of them. So you can, so you can have, you have two copies. So I am three, two. Um, and so you could have like four, four, or three, three, four, four, two, three, two, three, any three two, two, any combination okay. of any combination of those. Um, and and I, I would, I would basically, and I've done so. Um, a, fr- a friend of mine, he's an amateur boxer. I think he found out he he was he had one copy of Apple E4. I was like, dude, just you have to stop. Like, you might enjoy boxing, but just like find another sport because mm. it's gonna be re- it's gonna be especially bad for you. So if you're if you if if your livelihood doesn't depend on it, and you're an Apple E4 carrier, mm-hmm. um, I mean, if you're you know, I, w- I would definitely so reconsider have, that as a sport. So if you have any combination of Apple E3s or twos, you. Sh- you, you, your baseline, yeah. So your baseline the risk is low, right? Like you're not protect, you're not yeah, like, pro, like you're not protected, but <laughs> you're not immune. But you're yeah. not immune. Maybe yeah, that's yeah. better. You are protected, but you're not immune. Okay. Yeah, that's the right. Yeah. Um, and then if you have two copies of Apple E4, well, but I mean that's re- really dramatically increased risk of both like a poor response to brain injury, but you know also Alzheimer's disease. So then like lifestyle, all the stuff that we talk about, you know, blood sugar regulation, good quality diet maybe periods of ketosis, periods of fasting, um, really good quality um, sleep, all of that's super important, but particularly important for, for, for ApoE4 carriers because they're at an increased risk. And the easiest way to get that tested is what so kind you of can get it from, test? Yeah, you can get it from your, like most doctors will do it. Okay. Um, it also increases your risk of having high, um, high blood cholesterol. I don't think, in most people, I don't think that that's 
that's the risk in itself. I don't think the cholesterol is the problem. Um, this, you know, it's, it's, it's kind of like what then happens when you sort of cause issues within the brain and how, and how ApoE4 kind of increases or amplifies that response. Um, is that like a, but, a quick uh, blood draw, basically? Yes, yeah, so it's a quick blood draw. Or you, you'll also get it if you do your 23andMe. Okay. Um, 23andMe will tell you your ApoE4 status. Throw away most of the rest of the report, but, <laughs> yeah, but, but you'll, you'll know whether you're... So it's, it, Ap yeah. your ApoE status is one of the most important... is one of the few useful things you can definitely get from your 23andMe. Yeah, and briefly touch on that. So are there other things on 23andMe that you think are just not um, very useful? No, so, yeah, so, so I'm, I'm being a bit pejorative. It's, it's, it's all potentially useful, okay. but I think it only becomes useful once you've put all these other things in place. So, you know, um, the, the need for sleep and a good quality diet and... So hit the big, yeah, yeah, like, the like that, lifestyle change, like those, lifestyle, yeah. Those things, like humans require those for optimal functioning. Like yes. you just, you can't get around that. So yeah. if you're going to try and like micromanage your health based on your genetics, mm. You can do that, but you have to do the other stuff first. Mm. And how you respond, like, and how you respond to like specific things that you eat, yes, it is determined by your genetics, but we cannot predict it based on your genetics, right? Like, so of course, like what you eat and your genetics will interact, but we're not at a point where we know if you eat this because of your genetics, that's this response will happen, right? The genetics are obviously important, but we just don't understand that well enough yet. So then, if you do all the other stuff, and there are still problems and things that you need to tweak. Then you can dive into the genetics, okay. but until you have all those other things in place, I, I don't really think there's that much point to it. You're lost in the weeds. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. And you don't, you don't know, you know. So if you have an increased risk of something based on your genetics, if you do or don't have it, you don't know if your genetics were the problem, you know, because there could be multiple things in the environment that are doing it, or there could be some other gene or some other factor that's controlling gene, um, you know, gene transcription epigenetically. Um, that's the problem, and it's not just the, the baseline gene itself. So there's, I mean. It's super interesting, but it's just really complex. So it's just it's difficult to to dig into that stuff first. I would put everything in place initially, and then you can start to tweak, um, and maybe your genes can guide that. But a lot of the time, it's just give something a go and measure and see what happens because we can't necessarily predict the response. Okay. Well, Tom, it's been good, amazing talking to you. I feel like we could talk all day. Yeah, yeah, it's awesome. Get, we gotta get, get we're back, back to the conference. conference. Yeah. So if anyone wants to find more information about you, your your research, how can they find you online or be in contact with you? Yeah, so I have, I just revamped my website. My wife just revamped my yeah, website. Yeah. Um, uh, Proper credit there. Yeah, yeah, de uh, absolutely. Um, DrRagnar.com, R-A-G-N-A-R. It's my middle name. That's why I am um, also my granddad's name. Um, and I'm Dr. Ra at Dr. Ragnar on Twitter. At how, how do you spell that again? R-A-G-N-A-R. Got it. Okay. Um, it's from my Icelandic side of the family. And then I'm uh, Dr. Rag at Dr. Ragnar was taken on Instagram. So I'm Dr. Tommy Wood on, on Instagram. So I've been trying, I haven't done much on Instagram, but I'm trying to increase that. So yeah, follow me there. Okay, great. Awesome. Thank you so much for your time. All right, we covered a lot during this interview. We started the interview off talking about Tommy's research and how it's conducted including why they use ferrets for their research, which I thought was very interesting. We talked about the second impact syndrome, where he talks about how, say you get like a first concussion or a first kind of head trauma, and afterwards you seem relatively okay, maybe a little shaken, but when you do any kind of cognitive test, you seem to pass and you seem to be okay. But he talks about how you need to realize that you still have excess levels of inflammation going on, and that if you have a second impact, say you go back into sports, you just have to be aware that you're at a much higher risk of having more brain injury because your body's still recovering from that first impact. 
we talk about concussions and we just, you know, define what a concussion is because I don't know about you, but for my entire life, I've always heard about concussions and different athletes experiencing concussions or from a car accident. And I never really truly, I mean, from like a general sense, I knew what it was, but I never knew exactly, you know, what a concussion was from like a scientific standpoint. How do you define it? So we defined it. We talked about how there are symptoms that you have of a concussion. So like, you know, decreased memory, decreased executive function, uh, more headaches, more fatigue. But from a cellular level, you're also seeing increased inflammation, increased swelling. And one thing I didn't know is the the blood brain barrier, which is super important for preventing diseases and kind of infections, is actually compromised during this time. And you're just at a higher risk of getting sick, which is which is interesting. We talked about some hormonal issues that go on after a concussion. And it's important, especially if you're constantly in sports, impact sports, you should get your blood work done to see if maybe you're low on testosterone or any other essential hormone, which may be, you know, affected by your concussion. We talked about the circadian rhythm and how it's important to keep in mind, you know, when you're supposed to be going to sleep and realize that if you're doing some kind of, you know, athletic event at night and you're getting head trauma, you're increasing your risk of brain damage. And also just in general, if you're like a night shift worker and you're working and staying up during times when your body should be resting, when it should be doing autophagy and just other processes that are helping heal and clean up the body, realize that if you're working during that time, if you're not sleeping, you're increasing your risk of cancers and type 2 diabetes and obesity. We talked about it briefly in the last episode, but we bring it up again here. We're supplementing with 5 grams of creatine monohydrate every day. Seems to have potential brain injury benefits. And again, it's it's a very low risk, potential high reward for supplementing with something like a creatine monohydrate. 5 grams a day seems to be all that you need. We talked about how it's important after you know head trauma or a concussion to keep your blood glucose levels stable. And this is probably the last thing that an athlete would do, right? After a big football game or even football practice or after, you know, a boxing match, boxing practice, sparring session, whatever the case may be, a lot of these athletes are are pounding the the Powerade, the Gatorade, recovery drinks, which normally, you know, spike your protein synthesis, spike your glucose levels to help with recovery. But if you've just been hit in the head or had a lot of, you know, micro concussions from being tackled, that's like the last thing you want to do because spiking that blood glucose will actually increase the inflammation and cause more damage potentially to your brain. We talked about taking ketone esters. He mentions a company called Huvman, H-V-M-N. They have a brand of ketone esters that you can take. And the benefit of drinking ketone ester is right after you know, getting brain trauma or concussions is it, first of all, minimizes glucose utilization. So you're helping keep your blood glucose levels more stable. It has anti-inflammatory benefits and also helps protect your mitochondria, which is super important, right? You want your, the mitochondria in your brain specifically to still be functioning and working optimally so that you can create energy and take care of, you know, business with healing your brain. And drinking ketone esters also has the added benefit of helping reduce the likelihood of having a seizure. So it sounds like, you know, if I was in contact sports or constantly sparring, I would definitely, you know, it sounds like it's not super cheap. He said it's about $30 for a bottle of ketone esters, 
but I would definitely be drinking that whenever possible, especially if I was, you know, got rattled during a training session pretty hard or after a tough fight. Uh, he does say it tastes awful, but hey, you know, <laughs> no guts, no glory, right? And then we also talk about how it's important to keep your brain cool after trauma. Now that ties back to inflammation, right? If you're in a very, very warm environment, it's it's going to be kind of pro-inflammatory in a sense. So you want to keep your brain cool. So after maybe a big fight or after a big football game or whatever you just finished completing, you want to, he said, no hats, stay out of the sauna, stay out of the sun. You can do some light training, but no hard training because if you're doing hard training, again, you're going to be increasing your core temperature, including the temperature of your brain. We talked about doing some cognitive tests that you can do to kind of get a baseline of your mental cognitive function. He mentioned an app called NBAC or Lumosity, which you've probably heard of before. Uh, and you can kind of use those tools to get a baseline of your cognitive function. And then when you're kind of coming back from an injury, brain trauma, concussion, you can use those same tools, compare it to your baseline and see if you fully recover mentally before you start you know, doing harder training. We talked about brain proteins, specifically amyloid, and how your body produces these proteins to help deal with the excess inflammation that's going on in your brain. But you know, when these proteins are created in excess levels and for extended periods of time, they can actually do damage. They can actually start eating away your, your brain mass, which is, <laughs> is terrifying. So he talks about some ways to kind of control and modulate amyloid production, including making sure you get really high quality sleep in addition to everything that we just mentioned. You know, making sure you kind of keep your brain cool after the event happens, uh, drinking those ketone esters, taking that creatine monohydrate, etc. And doing those things will help cut down on the inflammation and help your body modulate amyloid production. We talk about the gene APOE4 and how if you have the APOE4 variant, if you have one copy, it could potentially increase your risk of developing Alzheimer's, you know, two to threefold. And if you have two copies of APOE4, it can literally 5x or more increase your chance of get, developing Alzheimer's. And also, not just Alzheimer's, but also just in general, it's an indication that you're going to have a very poor response to brain injury when it occurs. So if you're, in, again, if you're in combat sports, if you're playing football a lot, get this, get this gene tested. It seems like it's very easy to be done, whether it's through a doctor's visit or even 23andMe. That's one of the many gene tests that 23andMe does provide with a high level of accuracy. In terms of the other tests that 23andMe provides, Dr. Tommy Wood does recommend that you focus more on just your overall health and focus on the bigger lifestyle factors first before you really try to get into your certain gene variants and try to optimize based around that. Because he says the research just isn't there yet in terms of how your nutrition modifications will affect your genes and vice versa. So focus on the big things, the high quality sleep, the exercise, getting good nutrition and social interaction, doing the big things that we know helps with longevity before you start, you know, doing all these crazy gene tests and really try to optimize that way. All right. Well, I hope you enjoyed the interview. If you want to get in contact with Dr. Tommy Wood, you can find him through his website at drragner.com. That's D-R-R-A-G-N-A-R.com. Or you can find Dr. Tommy on Instagram at Dr. Tommy Wood. 
All right, that's it for this part of the episode. If you haven't yet, please leave a review for me on iTunes or on Stitcher. I just found that you can actually leave reviews for for a podcast on Stitcher, but you have to do it through their desktop app. You can't do it through the mobile app. There's no option there. So that's really helpful. It helps grow the show, and I would really, really appreciate it. But for now, we're going to roll into Tomco tip number 10, where I talk about the importance of trusting yourself as you go through life. Let's get into it. On today's Tomco tip, I want to talk about the importance of truly trusting yourself and your decisions as you go through life. Now, don't get it wrong. It's great to have other people's feedback, ideas, and input as you go through life, especially when it's coming from a good place. Say it's like a friend or a family member, someone that has no ulterior motive. It's amazing, and you should be very grateful that you have their opinions and ideas coming towards you. But at the end of the day, you have to make your own decisions as you go through life. Because let's face it, no one knows you better than you know yourself. No one's been there through all the experiences, all the interactions, all the life lessons that you have gone through. Sure, you can try to tell your best friends or your family members or your brother or sister about what you've been through and they might have a pretty good idea of what you've gone through, but no one truly knows what you've gone through better than you know yourself. And at the same time, no one knows what deep down is gonna make you truly happy like you do. They might tell you or they might think they know you, but At the end of the day, you know yourself best. And again, they might have your best interests at heart, but maybe they don't know, you know, what you've been through the last couple years. Maybe they're they're basing their decisions and their feedback and their advice to you based on someone that you used to be an earlier version of yourself. And they don't have the last couple years of data on what your new interests are or how life has affected you and opened your awareness to different possibilities of where you want to go next. So as you go through life, be okay making your own decisions and be bold with your decisions. Be okay standing out from the crowd, going against the grain. It's okay to be different. Let your views be known. I don't know why these days everyone wants to try to fit in. Maybe it's social media where you're always trying to portray the best version of yourself and it kind of feels weird standing out, but it's okay. It is okay. When you have one opinion and everyone else in the room has a different opinion, if you have a reason why, something to back up why you think the way that you think, I guarantee you, I don't care if people are judging you or not, I guarantee you people are going to respect you more for having your own unique opinion and having a reason why you believe what you believe. Even though they might not, you know, side with you, deep down they're going to be like, wow, I really respect you for thinking outside the box and having you know, the the courage to think differently. And like always, it is always okay to be wrong. It's okay to be wrong. I've, you know, I've said it before and I'll say it again. It's okay to make a decision in life, go down that path, even if it's unpopular because you're trusting your gut, you're going off your experience and what you know, what you believe will make you happy. And it's okay to go down that path and be wrong, to realize that you made a mistake correct that mistake and move forward in a different direction again again trusting yourself that to me is the most free way the most fulfilling way to go through life when you're trusting yourself you're learning you're applying what you're learning you're not just listening to the crowd and becoming a sheep 
but listening to your true self, making decisions, and going towards that path in life. I mean, that's what life's all about, right? Creating a life that's truly your own, being a trailblazer, and creating, truly creating your life as you envision it. So that's my Tomco tip for today. Go out there and truly trust yourself. You got this. All right, till next time, love you guys.